No more Mr. Nice Duck. Drop that zero and get with the hero. <laughs> Excuse me? Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sewer and the Kodan Armada. And now, ladies and gentlemen, any further questions? Bar, yeah, please. For the first one who buys one, right? Ah. Souvenirs, novelties, party tricks. Apparently, it's rusted junk, and we're looking at it. Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of Rusted Junk, where we look at the 1987 film The Untouchables, starring Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro, and Sean Connery. I grew up in a tough neighborhood. Sometimes a reputation follows you. Robert De Niro is Al Capone. There is violence in Chicago, of course, but not by me, and not by anybody I employ, and I'll tell you why, because it's not good business. Kevin Costner is Elliot Ness. I have sworn to put this man away with any and all legal means at my disposal, and I will do so. Sean Connery is Jimmy Malone. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's it, the Chicago way. You just joined the Treasury Department, son. Everybody knows where the booze is. The problem isn't finding it. Let's do some good! The problem is who wants to cross the pond. Somebody messes with me, I'm gonna mess with him. You carry a badge? Yes. Carry a gun. Get your hands in the air! You're all under arrest! You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing no one can get to you? Hey, everybody can be gotten to. All right, then. Drive him to the station. Anything happens, you shoot first. You understand me? Well, I'll tell you one more thing. You got an all-out price fight, you wait till the fight's over, one guy's left standing, and that's how you know who won. Just tell me, are you being careful? Careful as mice. I want to hurt the man, Malone. I want to start taking the battle to him. I want to hurt Capone. This man can finger Al Capone. This man can put Capone behind bars. What's the matter? Can't you talk with a gun in your mouth? You're not to prove your methods. Yeah? Well, you're not from Chicago. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. Pictures presents a Brian De Palma film. I have forsworn myself. I have broken every law I swore to defend. I have become what I beheld, and I am content that I have done right. You got nothing, nothing, and if you were a man, you would have done it now. Never stop fighting till the fight is done. The Untouchables. Wow, what a trailer! What do you think? It's great. If you hadn't seen that, <laughs> and, and if you hadn't heard about The Untouchables and just saw that, you'd go, I definitely want to see that. Yeah, I'd want to watch it anyway. We always say watch the trailer. Watch the trailer. It's got De Niro in it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's got Kevin Costner in it, but we'll get to that. Um, as a, who, who I prefer as an actor. Um, we need to have a we need to have a shout out because I think that's the first trailer that we've done where it has the undeniable tones of Donald LaFontaine 
who is the voiceover guy in a world full of danger. This is, you know, and he's just... Who are you trying to be? Him, the guy, doing the the trailer voice. Um, I just think he's great, and he adds the gravitas to a film where, you know, Kevin Costner is Elliot Ness, and you're like... Yeah, but loads of films do that. Yeah, exactly, and that's why he's famous. You know, anyway... We've got, to get, we, we've got to get to the film. Crack on. We've got plenty to discuss. Um, so, I guess we start with our opinions of it. So, what did you think? What's the thing? Um, first, well, first of all, a mark out of ten, and then what did you think? Oh, a good eight. A, s- a strong eight. A good eight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Liked it. All right. Any, what's there, any particular... What is future? Was it was it more of what, what were you expecting? <clears throat> uh, I thought it'd be a bit more sort of gangster heavy. M- more like more like Goodfellas or more. Yeah, a little right. bit like that, or or a bit kind of like um, <laughs> what <laughs> what's the children's one that had Tallulah in it? And I have no idea. I like to think I know quite a lot of pop culture. But... No, it had um, the girl. Oh God, Jodie Foster is it that played Tallulah? Oh, in sorry, in Taxi Driver. Oh, no, Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone. I thought it was going to be a bit more sort of. So wait a minute. You thought you'd like more gangster in it, but you'd like it to be more like Bugsy Malone, where they have pie guns. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like real guns. I thought it'd be. I think I thought it'd be like Bugsy Malone, but with well, real guns. Well, it's kind of nineteen. 19- that kind of thing. Bugsy Malone with real guns is, drumroll, The Untouchables. Oh, well. <laughs> wow, it's not really, but... Well, there well. were no singing girls in it. Did you feel that the film was lacking singing girls? <laughs> no, not specifically. Okay. Anyway, what I thought of Bugsy Malone with guns um, was... <laughs> I'd, I'd say it's a strong gate as well. There are there are things that um, annoyed me about the film... <gasps> Yeah, they're just. Um, I guess we'll get to that when we when we get into the film. In fact, no, I'll start it now. The thing that annoyed me is the soundtrack. So before we get into the film, and I know it was up for an Oscar, but I just think there were times where the the music was absolutely beautiful and it really complemented the film perfectly. But there was times when it's just completely out of place. Mm. The start of it, the start of the film, made it feel like feel like a crime thriller. And I mean, it made it film like a sort of whodunit. Like, you know, Clue. Or, you know... Which bit are you referring to? Right, am I watching Dick Tracy or what? I mean, I know it's Elliot Ness, but... And then then it would go into soaring, uplifting music that Ennio Morricone was famous for. And you're like, this seems out of place. It seems like you've just got... Just thrown them the keys and said, I'm just off... I'm going for a weekend break. Can you just do the rest of the film? And then somebody else did it and go, oh, oh all I've got is notes. Um, I guess it sounds a bit like this then. And it just, it, it, it looks like there's two soundtracks in the film and, and that annoyed me. That okay. busted it down a mark. Oh. Yeah. I wasn't really paying that much attention. Because having not seen the film before, hmm. I was more engrossed in the fact that I was absolutely shocked at the first part with the, the girl. Yeah, that's quite. We'll get to yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, that was like wasn't expecting that at all. That's quite horrific. Well, 
but the there's quite f- a lot of violence I thought in the film not enough apparently for you because you, you want a sort of good fellows rather than a well no there's where the violence is in it in it um, it's 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 quite it's visceral yucky yeah. yeah so they don't make it sort of comedic they actually make it look like it's real um so yeah we'll get to the we'll get to some of those yeah the, those violent bits i think like the, the, the bit where like someone gets the head shot and like got all the bits on the plaster work behind them and uh, they skull and stuff so okay um well i guess it is it is a genius film there's a, there's a reason for it being you know oscar nominated and an oscar winner uh, which we'll get to um but i i just think that the the whole overall film is one of forgotten and I, I think one of the things that we talked about is whether or not we actually include the untouchables on this because it was an oscar, it was an oscar film you know Sean Connery won the best supporting actor for it but forgotten in the sense of I think this is the direction of the podcast in a way I think this is the way we're going films that people go oh yeah I like I forgot about that I forgot how good wow. it was this was in 1987 yeah. we're now what 87 97 07 17 uh, over 30 years yeah so yeah you're likely to have a whole host of movies from the 80s that people probably haven't seen. Can we do Ferris Bueller next? You can do whatever you want. You're in charge. Well, not in charge. It's a it's a dual democracy. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? Well, why wouldn't it be? Oh, okay then. Well, I wouldn't have done actually. If it was, you wouldn't have done <laughs> Le, wouldn't have done Leviathan. But still, never mind. But yeah, okay. Well, you get to pick next then. Oh, okay. Right. Cool. Um, out, out of so the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Ferris yeah. Bueller. So. I think the term forgotten 80s movies is because there's a, it's probably forgotten because there's a whole host of people that haven't seen them in the first place. Mm. And those that were around in the 80s that could have seen them probably didn't get round to seeing them, like me. Yeah. And are you glad that you picked that one up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 See, I, I think back now, this is episode nine of Rusty Junk. Mm. And if you think back to when we... Rubbish films. Seven, because there was the introduction, uh, oh, the introduction yeah. and the jingles. So if you haven't listened, if you're listening to this one, we did. We're going to introduce new jingles <laughs> into this, um, and we've already discussed them in the earlier podcast. So go and listen to the other podcast. It's only like 13, 14 minutes long, but you'll hear the new pod, You'll hear the new jingles that we had professionally done for us. Um, are we and using them in this podcast? We are. Yeah. Oh, great. Um. Yeah, I've got to leave a gap for it. I've not done this before, but we've got to kind of leave a gap when we do it. You can splice them in. Um, actually, that leads us neatly into it then. So, uh-huh. right, okay. Well, here we are for um, roll call. Roll call. Okay, well, that was roll call. Um, what do you <laughs> think of the new? Does it fit? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Okay. Well. I kind of like it. It kind of fits with it. All right, then. All right. Right. So, the roll call in this. Um, of course, we have... We'll get to the, these people in a minute. We have Sean Connery, Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro, and Andy Garcia. But I'd like to start with one of the other member of The Untouchables. 
um, Agent Oscar Wallace, who's played by Charles Martin Smith. Um, so he is in the film. He's the like the accountant, basically the person that's looking through the books. And throughout the film, he's like, do you know that Al Capone isn't paying his tax? Do you know Al Capone isn't like a like a sort of reminder every so often, mm. like um, just to let you know he's not paying his tax. Twenty minutes later, have you seen through these books? I don't know where his money's coming from. I don't think he's paying tax in this. It's like honk, you know, massive. There's a massive clue here. If you haven't watched The Untouchables and you don't know what happens to Al Capone, it's kind of like letting you know what's going to happen at the end. So I'm not. I don't think it's a spoiler alert for something that happened in the 1930s Chicago. But yeah, Al Capone doesn't get done for being a gangster. He gets done for tax evasion. And I did not know that. Wow. Okay. Anyway, back to Charles I Martin Smith. I thought he got shot. You thought Al Capone got shot? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sure if I knew my gangster films or gangster <laughs> things, I'd say it's Babyface Rooster or something like that. I mean, I don't know. But maybe he did get shot. Maybe he's a real gangster. Maybe he did get shot. Maybe it was Tallulah. T- Tallulah. Anyway, um, Charles Martin Smith smokes a, has a pipe in this film. Okay. But this is this is a weird thing to understand, right? In the eighties, Charles Martin Smith played the same person. So when you saw him in a film, he kind of played the mild mannered. Oh, oh, this is all a bit sort of new to me. Oh, uh, oh, I just was doing something over here, and now you're making me do something over here. And he played that sort of mild mannered. Oh, so he's style. typecast a bit like Bill Murray then. Oh, how? Dare you? No, he is. Bill Murray plays the same. What do you mean? Did, what do you mean, Bill Murray? We've had this before, yes. but it's the right. Same. But so Bill Murray plays. Well, sorry, what does he play every time? It's like a hapless kind of. H- hapless. Yeah, kind of hapless and kind of you know. Well, do you know what? Sarcastically it, funny in a in an American kind of way and kind of trying to be cool and. Okay, maybe we need to do Mad Dog and Glory, where he stars. In that, that is a great film where you'll say he isn't typecast uh, in a way a bit like when Adam Sandler did a film called Punch Drunk Love um, and he'd done comedies all the time he did Punch Drunk Love which is absolutely incredible but just shows a different side to Adam Sandler which you don't see again until he does like later films and more recent films which some of which have been a bit more serious I think Funny People was one of them um, where he played a comedian anyway back to Charles Martin Smith before we get to that so he was in a film called the expert a year later so sorry two years later which starred john travolta as an um and i never know how to pronounce his name um a a y r e um gross it's like r gross or r gross or whatever i don't know how to pronounce it because i've only ever seen his name and all the stuff if i showed you a picture of him you go oh him Oh, he's been in loads of stuff. Yeah, I remember him in like something. Anyway, that's who he is. The premise of that film is John Travolta and R. Gross are starting a nightclub in Los Angeles. They're hit over the head or drugged, I can't remember. And then they wake up in this fictional American town. What they don't know is that that fictional town is a training ground for Russians, Russian spies. It's actually, they've been transported to Russia and they're in Russia, and they have the, by gunpoint they have to say, "Teach these all these Russian people how to be Americans." Um, and so John Travolta does, 
and I guess this was John Travolta when he was yet to do his Pulp, pulp Fiction comeback. This was the bitty stuff that he did in between. Mm. You know, he did films like Staying. I mean, did the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which was Staying Alive. I think that was like 83 or something like that. So there's all these bitty things that never quite got to the heights of Greece or, you know, um, the, the John Travolta era. Then he makes Pulp Fiction and then he goes into making stuff like Michael and, you know, all the stuff from there. So, but John Travolta's wife uh, was on the film and she was one of the Russian spies and they met on the set of The Experts and they later married. And he's still with her today. Okay. Yeah. Right. All right, okay. Thanks. Okay. But anyway, so if I said to you, right, let's start with let's start with the Oscar winner, shall we? Let's start with Sean Connery. If I said to you, Sean Connery, your best moment of Sean Connery, go. Ever. If the, if the first film that comes to mind might be the first film that you might be the film that you actually like him for. Did he play James Bond? He did. Yeah. Did he of, play James? One of them then. Well then, <laughs> I'd put aside twenty minutes for that encyclopedic knowledge of uh, Sean Connery from there. But looks like we've done that in just under nineteen seconds. So, <laughs> hooray! <laughs> well, so I think he was James Bond. That's Sean Con- Sean Connery's legacy. Yeah. So when he, you know, and when he'll have, he will unfortunately pass away at some point. The, the outpourings on Twitter won't be. I think he's the guy that played James Bond. A few times. Right. How many times did he play James Bond? Oh, that's a very good question. It must be 11, I think, because he You're did the guessing. last... Well, the last film, he, the last Bond film he did was Never Say Never Again, <coughs> which was a remake of Thunderball, um, which was pretty pointless in the whole grand scheme of things. Um, but yes, oh, here we go. She's reaching for a phone again. Is <laughs> any reason... Uh, do you want to find other Sean Connery films? I have another Sean Connery films. You don't have to look up things. This is this is a shout out to um, Joe Hogarty, who I know listens to our podcast, who does another excellent podcast, the Nerd Alert podcast. So a big shout out for that. Who? Sean Connery. I thought you meant Joe's. (laughs) All right, okay. Sean Connery. Yeah. C O. Yeah. Double N. Yeah. E R Y. This is one R then. Otherwise, that'd be Connery. <laughs> yeah, it's Sean Connery. I can't believe you're doing this. I might actually cut this out because this is, this is slightly embarrassing. But anyway, shout out to Joe and Alert and Jack seven, and Taylor. Seven films. Seven films. So his last film was Never Say Never Again. Bond film. Yes, 1983. Yep. And his first film was Doctor No. 1962. There you go. Um, oh, okay. Well, then my Sean Connery... Um, God, it was a big from between what? Between the last film and Never Say Never Again. Massive gap. Yeah. Yeah. Diamonds Are Forever, 71. Yeah. yeah. And Never Say Never Again, 83. Does that yeah. mean there was no Bond movie between 71 Yeah, of course and there was. There was like, there was Octopussy and For Your Eyes Only and Moonraker. Roger Moore took, took over. And then James, and then, oh, James Bond came back. <laughs> he came back for a, re, a very poor remake, Never Say Never Again. It really is dreadful. <laughs> Um, but yeah um, so for me um, it's obvious to go for Bond it's obvious to go for Goldfinger which is Sean Connery's just it's just a film full of iconic moments um, 
in reverse order I'd have to say The Rock I loved him in The Rock with Nicolas Cage what as in the film The Rock about the, rock. the Alcatraz oh, The Rock okay yeah not the film with um, Indiana Jones's dad of course in Indiana Jones oh, and the Last Crusade yeah. wonderful that's I mean, funny really good um, I like quite I kind of liked watching those films. The content of the film was pretty rubbish, but the, the dynamics between Harrison The content Ford. of the film was rubbish? What, Indiana Jones? Yeah, the last one. The Crystal Skull. Oh, skull the Crystal thing. Skull was dreadful, it was yeah. terrible. Yeah, I know. We're talking about The Last Crusade, though. Yeah, but the, Where you the have kind of dad and sort of Indiana relationship. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, it was really good. Um... But to my mind, I'm sorry, uh, well, I'm not sorry at all. My favourite Sean Curry performance has to be Hunt for Red October, um, which to my mind is pretty much about as perfect as it gets. Certainly out of the Jack Ryan films, it stands head and shoulders above the others and Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan. Um, do you know that Kevin, uh, Sean Connery's, Kevin, Kevin Connery, Sean Connery's last <laughs> film was in 2003. And then he stopped. At, he just basically said, "I'm retired. I'm not. I'm not acting anymore." He hasn't made a film since 2003. And the last film he made was a like a science fiction sort of fantasy, um, sort of steampunk type thing called "The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen." Oh, I can't remember that. Yeah, um, I can't remember the character he played. I should look that up. But yeah, that's the last film. That's the last actual film. He's done voiceover since then, but only mm. a couple. Um, okay. But anyway, so on to De Niro. Well. The films we could choose with De Niro: Meet the Parents, <coughs> The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. I mean, where do we where do we go with De Niro? Joking, joking. Although he did make The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, yeah, not a high point in an otherwise illustrious film career. So if I said to you, this will this will be easy. If I said to you, De Niro, favorite favorite De Niro. Um. I don't know actually because I quite like a lot of them. You weren't mad keen on Raging Bull. Well, I'm. You sort of said, "Can we watch that in bits?" And I was I like, "What?" Seen it properly? Yeah, have we sat down and watched it? We had to what watch it in installments. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's the boxing one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah this is great. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. watched that. Yeah, that was all right. Taxi Driver. I've not finished yet. Okay. But I've got to the point where he's just shaving his head in the film. Okay. Um, you can see, you, uh, listeners, you can see why um, we work so well together. There's, there's um, uh, the knowledge, he, that, that boxing st- film. Shush. I think he's absolutely stunning in The Godfather. Yes. Yes. And, Part two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> of course you knew that. <laughs> the, the blank look. Which, we should do a YouTube channel just for that look. <laughs> Uh, and the latest right. one, The Irishman. I'm actually really enjoying that. Yeah, I've, I've still got the rest of that to, to watch. Oh, I had to do that in instalments. It's quite a, it's it's quite a tough slog. It's over three hours. It's well over three hours, yeah. yeah. So I've got the last 40 minutes to watch. I didn't realise that was actually based on a true story. Yes, because obviously you don't, <laughs> Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, Al Capone. Yeah, I didn't know the story of Al Capone. I didn't know what happened with that. It's almost like in history class. This is an impression of man in history, American history class. I didn't like history. I, I, I did geography. Not oh, history. all the geeks did geography. Nobody like nobody in the right mind likes geography. Of course they do. Love no, they don't. No, they don't. Geography's geography's for losers. There we go. Sorry. Um, well, okay. I'm 
predictably not going to go for the obvious. I do want to note some of Robert De Niro's like late 80s, like well, late 80s, early 90s films. So I picked three out. Um, in fact, I picked four out. So starting with Midnight Run, for all those people who love movies, everybody knows what Midnight Run is about. I think when we first saw it, we thought, didn't know they could fit that many F-words into a film. I actually didn't know that was possible. Um, still to this day, it probably holds some sort of record, but maybe I think Casino might have overtaken that. Um, oh, I love that as well. Casino, absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah, with De Niro, we could just keep going. What was it? Um, but I'd like to point out, it was in Backdraft with Kurt Russell, the film about the firefighters. Yeah, yeah. That was great. Cape Fear, of course, plays Max Cady. Never watched Cape it. Fear. You haven't seen Cape Fear? No, it's, a, it's not very nice, is it? Well, it's it, you can't say that you're a fan of Robert De Niro and I'm not seeing Cape Fear. Well, it's not a very nice film, is it? Well, uh, I well, Good Goodfellas is not a, a you know a wholesome a wholesome picture about bakers. It's you know <laughs> there's some pretty bad scenes in Casino and Goodfellas, I think. Yeah, yeah? but right. No, I mean like psychological. Oh, psychologically, yeah, but it's just horror. I don't like that sort of stuff. Right. Okay. Well, we're currently watching The Outsider at the moment, so that blows that theory well, out of no, the water. Well, no, it's not graphic, really. You only hear it. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway, there's a graphic moment in this. Um, and the last film I was going to put, is only because now we're talking about gangsters and Robert De Niro, um, A Bronx Tale, mm. where that was switched around. So De Niro plays the father that's worried about his kid getting into, getting in with, um, I think it was Chaz Palminteri, who was played the bad guy in that. Um, and... Yeah, it's that's just a great film. If you haven't seen A Bronx Tale, I think... Well, you definitely see all the ones I've said and all the ones that Amanda said. But you've probably seen the one that Amanda, that Amanda said because they're famous. And it's, it's understandable. You wouldn't be as geeky as I to know, you know, like Midnight Run with Charles Grodin. But it's great film. He has to... He's a... Be, he's a be, film Top Trumps or something. Oh, well, if we were, if we are, <laughs> name the 1983 film that starred, name the 1980 film that starred Bill Murray and Harold Ramis before they started Stripes. Scrooged. Well, we actually discussed it on the second, the podcast before last. It's no me- idea. Meatballs. Anyway, same to you, Meatballs. Um, oh, you sounded like Alan Partridge then. Um, I couldn't, couldn't do that. Anyway, right. Kevin Costner, the last, last one I have to do. Kevin Costner is out of... Is my favourite out of the three. There, I've said it. I just think... I, I, He's very handsome in this movie. Just Kevin Costner is just... Is is the epitome of cool. The Brian Ferry of cinema. Well, he's, he must have been in his 30s when he did this. Yeah, early early 30s. Early 30s. Yeah. I just... I, I know, you know, people say Connery, Bond, you know... Um, Vito Corleone as you know for De Niro as well as many other many other you know film roles which are truly iconic but I I think you're taking a little bit away from Kevin Costner who was but you know at this point had played he played a corpse in The Big Sleep uh, which is uh, uh, The Big Chill sorry which is a 1983 film he plays the corpse uh, that all the friends are gathered around well, that, that it's kind of like a coming-of-age style film where they all talk about each other, dialogue-heavy type thing. So Kevin Costner was doing things before that, but he blew up by doing The Untouchables. It all went... He did a film called No Way Out, which is wonderful, the same year as The Untouchables. He plays a Navy officer looking for a spy, which is fantastic. The year after, he then achieves iconic status 
by doing uh, a baseball double fill, double hit fitter with Field of Dreams and Bull Durham, both of which I think, especially for our American audiences, just is part of your culture, really, isn't it? It's part of. I mean, please feel free. I mean, anybody from that's listening from America, just you know, contact us. You know, at Rusty J Pod on the Twitter, just to let us know how much these films mean to an American audience. You know, but from there you get Dances with Wolves. He suddenly gets to an Oscar crowd. He's then Robin Hood. He's White Earp. You know, JFK. JFK. I went to this for a three-hour film. I went to the cinema six, six times to see that in the space of about two weeks. And the reason I did that is because I was just fascinated by the whole story. And then I went and saw people that hadn't seen it. I went, "Oh, you need to come and see it. I'll come with you." And then I just went. I just kept going back and watching it and just. I just transfixed. Paid for you? No, no. But Kevin Costner, you know, ends up doing things like playing Roy McAvoy, aka Tin Cup, and I just, oh, I just, I could watch anything with him in. The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, it's, he's just. I I know one of the things is is he's one trick pony that he can only do like Kevin Costner. Uh, and I think that's really doing him a disservice because he does quite a lot of things. I don't and it's, think that. I know you might. There a lot of people do think that. I think well, what's he doing now? He's making like these, you know, films that don't do an awful lot. But let's not forget that he plays Superman's dad in Man of Steel. Um, and he was alongside Chris Pine in the Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. So he played the CIA officer in that. And he, he does things well. It's solid performances every time. You know, he's played a widow. I'd seen him in a film called Black and White. He played a widower. I've seen him as an alcoholic, you know, and he's just like, okay, uh, Kevin Costner for me. But anyway, there we go. Um, and last shout out before this turns into be the longest podcast you'll ever listen to, because, uh, um, but Andy Garcia. So Andy Garcia stars in one of the films that we trailed right back in the introduction of Rusted, uh, the introduction to Rusted Junk, which was Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia on the trail of a to try and extradite a Japanese gangster Black Rain so yes I've never seen it no no you haven't seen it but we discussed it quite a lot because it was oh. one of the quiz questions in yes memory memory of a goldfish <laughs> it's a uh, just call me Dory anyway he was in Godfather Part 3 uh, he played the hitman that Al Pacino uh, Michael Corleone was hiring to go around and do all his dirty work for him and obviously, more notably, he played Fernando Sinfuegos <laughs> in uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which is a, a house favourite. We don't, we don't, every film is welcome here, I think. We'll give it a, we'll Not give it a go. Film. Not every film. Um, any film starring Robbie Williams will never get a watch. But then again, he'll never be an actor. He never was a singer, so he'll never be an actor. So anyway, if Robbie Williams is listening, I can back that up. Um... So yes, there we go. That was that was roll call. So on to the film. Um, I think the way to describe the Untouchables is yes, it's about the Elliot Ness and the takedown of Robert De Niro of Al Capone. But yeah, well, no, you know. But it's it's the descent of a very good-hearted man into. I don't know. It's not depravity. I don't think that's it's not the, a that's the thing. At all. It is a descent. He it's starts descent. out as the most wholesome person in the world, and in the end, he's actually questioning his own morals and committing acts which are probably against the Elliot Ness that you meet at the start of the film. Yeah, but 
he's got to fight dirty because that's the only way he can fight because the the, the law abiding um, police officer as such hmm. probably won't be able to achieve what needs to be achieved and that's that's the bit that that you know that because ha- of the power that Al Capone has over the the whole sort of authority of you know policing and everything else business whatever he's, he's got his fingers in all the pies and like paying off all the you know bent judges and, and district mm. cops and different things so that he can just continue doing what he does do you do you think the um I think this is a good story to pick to do th- this particular story. I think it's a good story to tell, you know, to see where America was in the 1930s. You know, prohibition. I mean, you, could, you, you couldn't imagine that now. What, no alcohol at all? No alcohol at all. Absolutely how not. Would you, how would you function? How would I function? But anyway, um, talking at the start of the film and talking about Capone's um, reach, it's a very good shot. The, the first line that you get is, it is the time of Al Capone. You know, the cinema opens up and, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, first, the first shot is of Al Capone being interviewed. Mm. Um, you know, it, um, it's, it's basically like an interview with the press fawning all over his every word because he is the main person in mm. Chicago. He's, he's, the, he's the number one. Um, it cuts from that sort of slightly menacing but probably quite jovial scene in the grand scheme of things in the film. It cuts to, you know, all I, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm a businessman. Cuts to um, people being, you know, a shopkeeper being extorted. The guys come in. The shopkeeper goes, "I'm not buying this. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do this." It's the beer wars, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, basically they wanted. I think it's some sort of protection racket that they wanted. They basically said, you know, pay us the insurance, otherwise something will something will happen. Um, there's a girl skipping in there. She's with her family, and there's a guy at the bar who seems to be minding his own business. But when the, the owner goes, you know, get the heck out of here type thing, I don't want you thing, the guy leaves and goes, well, you know, you'd be sorry. The guy that's at the bar gets up and leaves his bag there, uh, to which the girl goes, hey, mister, you know, hey, you forgot your bag. Well, boom. Mm. And that is quite a scene. I mean, for a film that's not going all out, you know, all out on gore and all that sort of yeah. stuff, that scene sets the tone and goes you've just seen the nice jovial one that the press fallen over and you've just seen what he's actually capable of this is this is how he's doing it this is how he's becoming this this person that he is um so with that in mind because of this all happens the treasury appoints a new task force and the man for the the task is elliot ness uh played by kevin costner um is that actually his real name elliot ness mm. yeah yeah Absolutely, they made a TV series out of the Untouchables. It was quite a, uh, I think it was it was well before um, the film The Untouchables. Um, but yeah, so you know you you get this sort of, um, you know that once once he's introduced, once Elliot Ness is introduced to the press, it's like, are you ready to meet the men? Like you know the flying squad and and so often, and, and you can like. You know, there's there's a tip off, and you know we we you know we've got some we know where these these things are. So he he, he you know masses all of these you know his his new squad, his new treasury like flying squad, in order to go and raid this 
warehouse where he thinks everything is. The tip-off he's got is all the um, liquor cases have a maple leaf on them. He's trying to stake it out. There's a reporter that seems to be following him around, trying to get a new story out of him, and he just appears in the middle of the stakeout, which is, looks really strange. Um, you know, they have a snow plow, which has a massive, massive thing on it, and they batter this warehouse down in order to do it. He shouts out an Elliot Ness-ism, I suppose. You know, let's do some good. Um... And you've got, basically, they find nothing. There's a, all, all that's in the cases are umbrellas. And as he opens the umbrella, the photographer takes his picture. And obviously, that's the picture that makes the front page the next day, which is basically, you know, um, embarrassing for his new task force. It's quite clear that there is a, uh, a you know, a mole within the organisation, you know. One of the pieces of trivia, by the way, is that every every cop that drinks alcohol in the film I know I'm skipping over to trivia time um, get shot get killed every police officer that you see taking a swig of alcohol gets killed I don't know I don't know if that's one of those intentional ones or it just like a real trivia buff has gone through and gone drinking alcohol is bad and every cop that does it um, because Elliot Ness had said um, if we are to uphold the law nobody is allowed to drink I know how would that go down these days? Exactly, with the coppers. <laughs> and so you've got Elliot Ness, who's like looking at the newspapers, feeling, you know, like nothing's going his way. He's looking at, he's leaning over a bridge and it reminded me of a shot from It's a Wonderful Life when um, uh, George from It's a Wonderful Life is feeling like everything's going wrong and he mm. wants to throw himself in the bridge. And I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, you've only, done, you've only done one where you haven't scored yet. You know, don't worry about it. Um, but he... You know, he's the, the headline was a uh, you know Crusader cop, but busts out or something. Um, but he meets Sean Connery, um, and Sean Connery plays this beat cop that's just walking along, and you know they start to have a conversation, and Connery's and, and you know Kevin Costner's just giving him sass because he's in a really bad mood, and Sean Connery's like giving it back and basically going, you know, you need to be a bit harder than this, you need to be, have more resolve and and things, so. Costner basically says to him, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm having a small group. Why don't you come and join our group? And Connery's like, I don't I don't, don't want to do that, uh, you know. Um, next thing you see is he takes he, he takes the newspaper, he takes out Crusader Cop, busts out and puts it on his wall. And I think that's quite iconic, that bit, because you don't know what that wall's going to be like. What did you think of that, where he starts putting the newspaper cuttings on his wall? Well, they post it on his door, didn't they? Hmm. In a in a sort of like jibe at him. Yeah. Think. And he so takes he, it off. He takes it off and sticks it up on his wall as a motivator. Absolutely. So, um, the the thing about the early part of the film is, I know this is like Brian Palmer's direction, but it's sort of like scene, cut something else, scene, cut something else, scene, cut something else, and it was quite jarring. I think the early part of the film, but. I guess that's just just me, but anyway, he Kevin Costner is determined to have Sean Connery on his squad. He visits him, and he said, "Look, if you'd come to me like ten years and twenty pounds ago, <laughs> I would have joined you. I would have joined the group." But um, he gets back to the office, and nothing seems to be going his way. Everyone seems to be giving him. He meets the accountant for the first time, who's in the office and looking mm. through the books, mm. and then Sean Connery appears. And basically says, I'm not talking in here. 
we need to talk and they go to a church and that's one of the famous scenes and that's that's probably two famous scenes in the film one of which is the the connery shot where he's talking about how they're going to get capone which you would have heard in the trailer which you know if you want to bring it you pull a knife he pulls you know he pulls a knife you pull a gun he sends one of yours to the hospital you send one of his to the morgue that's the chicago way that's a wonderful scene and that's, you know, people remember that scene as well as the uh, railway scene, which we'll talk about later. But what did you think of that? Did you, did it, did it strike you as Connery's, you're either in or you're not? Yes, because I felt he was actually, although he was classed as a supporting actor, I felt he was actually the lead. You felt he was the strong, did you feel he was the strongest? And there's no harm in, you know, dissing De Niro uh, on this, but... Did you think he was the strongest person oh, yeah, in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not De Niro. Right. You okay. I really saw him. Yeah, I guess. Uh, the, the horrific thing with De Niro, a bit later on in the film, is the baseball bat thing. Yes. That's just like, oh my god, that's just horrendous. And yeah. He doesn't hit him once. He hits him quite a few times, and and just if that is actually true, if that is actually what happened, then. Mm. he's not a very nice person at all is he yeah absolutely but that, that kind of felt really real and that and like at the start of the film where the poor girl kind of you know gets blown up in the shop yeah that's really horrible as well and I, I just felt like dotted through the film they didn't shy away from making things feel like really kind of make making you feel a little bit kind of like ugh sick I guess yeah I yeah abs- yeah I mean the baseball bat scene we'll get, get to in a moment but yeah you're right uh, the baseball one is the one that people remember yeah it doesn't just it, it, it doesn't just one like hit it, it it's has, repeated hits yeah it, it feels like it has that um that sort of element of violence from like uh, casino and goodfellas what the casino where the guy which which hand do you deal with or which hand do you deal with yeah. So it takes that and then they just hit it repeatedly with a hammer. Yeah. It feels it felt, like that. Yeah, it does. It feels it's like that. it's really in your face, kind of like brutality. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, to a point, I felt it didn't, it didn't fit the film because I felt like the type of film it was was a bit softer. Right. Do you see what I mean? But every so often, something comes and reminds you that it is actually about gangsters. It's not particularly nice people. Yeah. So, yeah. I think with Casino and stuff, with those typical gangster movies, mm. you've got something happening quite often. Whereas with this film, it wasn't happening quite as often. But when it did happen, it, wasn't, yeah, it wasn't quite... It, it was actually in your face a bit. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it's not littered with loads of stuff. It, it's just yeah every now and again it's like oh god that's not really nice yeah I mean and the scene in the lift as well that was really the scene in the lift the you know the Canadian when they're at the hut with the, the Canadian yeah. mounted police I mean we'll get to those in a moment but yeah you're right every so often it just rears its ugly head and says I just want to remind you just in case you're having you know you're having fun with this film and enjoying the performances it is actually filmed by gangsters boom here's something to remind you hmm and I guess one of the things that I thought about was, was when you brought it up there, um, was about De Niro's performance. Y- you're right. Probably screen time, if you added it up, 
He's hardly on. 12 minutes. Really? Like 10, 12 minutes. I mean, there's the big, a bit at the beginning. There's the bit yeah, There's the bit round the table with the baseball bat, yeah, which we'll get to. That. That's quite long. There's the bit in the, you know... There's a bit where he's having a shave. There's the bit about where he's the prize fighter, you know, how you know when somebody's won it is, you know, one guy's down, the guy's left standing yeah. and standing up. and then up. there's the altercation on the hotel stairs. True, but if you look at it, Al Pacino starts off very strong. Al Pacino. It, oh, Al Pacino. De Niro. Al Capone. Al Capone starts off very... So De Niro starts off very jovial because he's been interviewed. Yes. Next time you see him, he's like all, you know, things... Then he starts getting a bit more riled, and towards the end, he's lost it. So if you look at it, if in order, as Elliot Ness starts to make gains against him, mm. he starts to get more riled, and he's more riled and more riled, and eventually he's in the courtroom at the end. Mm. So, um, anyway, uh, they recruit Andy Garcia. They look for somebody who hasn't been tainted, because they need somebody quite pure. Um, oh, that's seen to recruit him That's to, really good. it is very good yeah very it basically Sean Connery pushes you know they say who's who's the best you know shooter out of it and suddenly you cut to Andy Garcia and he's putting three bullets through the head you know in, in symmetry and they go yep we'll have him um, Sean Connery pushes him a lot about his Italian heritage and, and and basically instead of that Andy Garcia just fights back <laughs> and basically puts a gun to Sean Connery's head and goes you know like how dare you and all this and Sean Connery goes yep I like this guy um so when they get back, uh, Sean Connery goes, I actually know, look, it's like one of these things. I know where all this stuff's been held. Let's just go and raid it. Let's just go and do it. So in fact, it's, it's, you know, it's about five minutes away. Yeah, but before they do that... They recruit the accountant. Yeah. And the accountant's sitting there and he goes, do you, do you carry a badge? And he goes, uh, <coughs> yeah, because I'm part of, the charity, part of the treasury. No, you carry a gun. <laughs> An accountant with <laughs> a gun. Yeah. I'd have to say Sean Connery's accent, like <coughs> like Sean Connery's accent in every film, is pretty much the same. Yeah, you can't do it. No, I can't, and I'm not going to. Anyway, they do the um, the the liquorade. There's um, cut to Al Pacino, and because it's successful, Sean Connery and the Untouchables have their first takedown. Um, it cuts to Al. Uh, I keep saying that. Why have I got Al Pacino in my head? I'm really sorry. Al Capone. Al Capone. So we've got Al Capone, and he's walking around the table full of all of his squad, basically, sort of the generals, his head honchos. And he's walking around there. It looks a very sort of shot that Tarantino nicked for, you know, for Reservoir Dogs when they're all around the table at the start, talking about Madonna. It's very much that sort of, I mean, Tarantino, I don't think it's, you know, certainly in his early films, he stole until he started stealing from himself and, and, you know, in later films and... (laughs) But basically, he took. I think he took that shot. I don't. I haven't looked that up to see whether or not that was one of his inspirations. But it's certainly pretty evident. If he didn't take it, he must have seen the film. Well, he would have seen the Untouchables. And then you get the baseball bat, which is basically he figures out that somebody has been, somebody was responsible for this, and because it was raided, he picks up the baseball bat and hits and hits and hits and hits, and it's probably a bit more chilling because. You don't know why. I've just guessed that the guy was in charge of it. Um, one of the things I thought about is, I did he just pick somebody at random? No. I thought he, he did. No, no, no. He was the guy that was supposed to Because he was talking in. about being part of a team. Yeah, and then he just hit the guy. Yeah, but he was supposed to be the guy that was in charge of the post office. Where right. they're keeping all the stuff. Okay, well, I, I, I missed that bit. Yeah. Anyway... So they're all full of the joys of spring. They all get back to the to the office and going, yay, we've done our first put down. There's somebody in there that is basically bribing. 
them. So, so basically, Capone has sent somebody and basically offered a bribe. Somebody that Kevin that that Elliot Ness knows has met before. Um, so I think trying to added thing trying to buy him off. Um, you know, so he's basically like, you know, you think you're untouchable. So he he just leaves money on his desk and then just smiles and as if to say, right, okay, well, I'm just you're going to take the money now. Elliot Ness is nope. Um, and he goes, you think you're untouchable? Nobody is untouchable, you know. Um, so Elliot Ness refuses to be bought off. Um, so yeah, the four of them together. So it turns into like a bit of a buddy movie because they're all together and they're all fighting crime together. Um, obviously, you still get this big reminder that, you know, that you are going to... Uh, do you see Al Capone's books? So suddenly... They, they start listening to the accountant and going, right, okay, well, what do we need to do? Well, we need to find the bookmaker. So they're going to inter- inter- intercept a shipment and payment on the Canadian border. So they enlist the help of the Canadian Mounties. So the, the whole scene moves from Chicago up to the Canadian border. Um, and there's a raid on the bridge. And, the, you know, um, the, that scene is like a simmering scene of, of setting it up where they're all t- chatting in the dialogue and it's, it's really good there's supposed to be a signal the Mounties go early everything but what 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 you do see from that film is the accountant saves the day the accountant mild-mannered oh, accountant well yeah. suddenly turns into I mean yeah he's he's all over the place he's shooting it up and and he saves the day um he then goes to the back of the truck and takes a cheeky sip of alcohol. <laughs> I think after that, I think he killed about six, seven people in the end. Um, but they get the books. But unfortunately, they don't have the bookmaker. They need the the actual the person that's who's in charge of that. Um, so this is where you get one of those reminders that you get told about is, you know, there's people killed around the shack that they're in um, and they've got somebody who's alive. They push him to a chair and said, talk. He's going, oh, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. And it, anyway, Connery gets an idea of picking up the dead guy, putting him up against the window to look as if he's just unconscious or just concussed or whatever, and sticking a gun in his mouth and going, I'm going to count to three and you're going to tell me. And it's like one, two, three, boom. The guy's brains end up on the, mm. on the window. And the guy goes, oh, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk. Not realising the guy, the guy was dead already. That's where the Canadian Mounted that you heard in the trailer goes, I do not approve of these methods. Just the Chicago way. Exactly. It's great. <laughs> so you will have this link to, to Capone. Um, you know, his wife and kids have been moved away because there's a threat. There's people outside his, his you know, it cuts back to Chicago. There's people outside his house that are going, ah, nice family. Is this where you live? And all that sort of stuff. And it's quite clear he's got to get his family out, off, the, off the, uh, the room. So after this bust, after they, they get the books and all of the alcohol, Capone turns into a raging psycho. I want him dead. I want his family dead. Mm. I want his friends dead. Anyway, um, in all of this, his pregnant wife gives birth. Um, oh, I'm sorry, but... That was quick, wasn't it? It was... It, it, it was an unreal... I've put in my notes, unrealistic, glamorous glow after childbirth. Yes. She's literally made up to the nines. And having just had a child, and you're like, I'm sorry. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's not depicting real life. It's you look like absolute rubbish after giving birth. 
Yeah, well, you look glow. You did have a glow about you. No, I didn't. I looked. You did. You had I a glow. You had a beautiful glow. To, you were just giving birth to our beautiful daughter. I didn't have a glow at all. I looked really yellow. Well, yeah, but you still <laughs> glowed. Pale. You glowed to me, sweetheart. I'm tired. Well, you had a glow. It might not have been the glow that you wanted, but you had a glow. <laughs> anyway, um, this is why I've knocked another point off. This line in the film has annoyed me since the first time I heard it on the trailer before I'd even seen the film. The wife goes, you be careful. And he'll go, I'll be as careful as mice. You heard it on the trailer just at the start. Or careful as mice. I'm like... What does that mean? What does it mean? I mean, I don't know. I mean, in 1930s Chicago, were mice mice careful? It's kind of like one of these like things that you hear. Oh, by the way, everyone was saying careful as mice back in the 30s. And I was like, well, where did that come from? Were mice particularly careful? Did they avoid certain things? You know, did they just, did they go and hang out and party in the sewers and not come out with the rats, hanging out with the rats? It's not like careful as rats. What are you talking about? No, but if if the rats were going, if we go up, up, up top, we're going to get shot or stood on or run over or whatever. So we'll stay down here and we'll be really careful. But there's no cheese in the sewers. No, there's no cheese in the sewers. There's no mice in the sewers either because mm. the rats would eat them. Yeah. So... Where were these careful mice? Well, that, maybe they had to be really careful because they, they couldn't go downstairs. <laughs> they had to stay upstairs. No cheeses for us, mises. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, they... Back to the film. <laughs> after mice, after the mice interlude. Um, you've got... Um, so, there's a subpoena for Al Capone. Uh, for his, what is that? For his accountant. It's basically, you need to attend... You need to be coming in for interview. You need to attend court date. You need is to that be... an Americanism? It is, yeah. Okay. Didn't That's watch fine. LA Law growing up? No. No. Okay. Didn't watch Murder One? No. Oh, Murder One is just a great series. It's in the early 90s. I was like 93, I think. Oh, wow. Please check out Murder One. I think One. I it's great. came across the word... Jason Gedrick from Iron Eagles in it. When... Uh, you, when we first got together and like you said, oh, have you seen The West Wing? I'm like, no. Oh, you must watch The West Wing. Uh, that's where I found like those American terms like oh, okay. and So you just even so you forgot The West Wing as well. I forgot. Well, I didn't know what it meant. No, no. But you watched The West Wing and we said, oh, the subpoena means they've got to appear at, in court. And then suddenly that information went into your head, went straight out the other side. I probably didn't ask you then. Because like, <laughs> you used to put it on before we were going to sleep anyway. So what, I so you just, just like nodded and went, oh, that's fine. I'll yeah. just watch this too. Did you just watch it to amuse, to keep me happy? Or Well, no, I was kind of interested. Kind of? No, not much then. It was all right. Um, I got into the storylines. Uh, anyway. Um, CJ doing the jackal. So we have the lift scene next, which is there's lots going on in the courthouse. Uh, the subpoena's gone out for the accountant. They've actually got one of the accountants that they think that they need to decipher the books, the the, the ledger that they've got from the Canadian uh, hit, no, the Canadian bust. Um, the attorney general's there. She's she's the she's the woman. Costner approaches. Um, you know, is they go down in the lift. You've got the accountant is going down in the lift with the gun. He's protecting the while he's escorted. He's escorted out of the courthouse to safety. Unfortunately, there's a hit, Al Capone hitman in the left with them. And sadly, 
the accountant who had just had his heroism at the uh, Canadian border gets shot quite violently as well. I mean, it is like a lot of blood in that lift. So their their witness has gone, um, and basically one of Costner's untouchables is dead. Costner at this point flies into a rage, goes to the hotel where Capone is, and basically just challenges him. Um, and says, and Capone, yeah, Capone's going, you've got nothing, nothing, and basically chiding him, and Costner's being held back, and you know you suddenly realise this is now extremely personal. Costner and Connery is basically they're basically talking, and what can I do? I've taken this, taken this back as far as I can go. Connery goes, look, just go back to the DA. Staller and just say we need some more time um, you need to go for Capone's bookkeeper you need to go for, not for the accountant for the person who actually runs all of this Connery goes to the police chief who's bent who's was the leader of the flying squad right at the start yeah he's bent um, where is this bookkeeper and he's going oh leave it leave it alone um, they have a fight Connery ends up finding the location of the bookkeeper um, and you know, it cuts to De Niro and he's going, look, I've done nothing to hurt these people. And, you know, uh, and and he's trying to keep up the pretense of being Al Capone. Anyway, Al Capone goes to the opera. He's watching the opera. Um, the hitman goes to Sean Connery, who's found out the location of the book, of the, um, uh, the, the bookkeeper, who they need now mm. as part of the case. Um... And yeah, we, we're coming up to De Niro going, get the bookkeeper out on the train, get him to my place in Miami, or get him to Miami and get him out. And so Connery knows this. Um, yeah, and the hitman that did the hit in the left visits Connery. What did you think of that scene? Um, it's in his house, isn't it? Yeah. He's got it written on a pack of, on a, it's got like, the house like number. a matchbook. He's got house the, number and street name. Yeah. In the um, flip top of the uh, matches, the matches, yeah. And you, you know, you kind of like think. Is it sixteen eighty three Wickard or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite quite sad because he's lured out, isn't he? He's lured out of his flat yeah. into the open, and it's quite sad to think that you know he got basically shot. And Mm, yeah. So you have this like Connery getting shot, mixed in with Al Capone at the um, at the opera, and while he's watching this, he's cr- he's he's crying at the opera, but he obviously whispers in his ear that Sean Connery's dead, and he starts laughing. That's mm. quite that's quite a chilling bit, really. Um, Kevin Costner gets to gets to the house. Connery goes. He's going to be on the train. His final words, he's basically telling him he's going to be on the train. Um, and then we get to, which is the end scene, really. It's the it's the big piece that they've been building up to. There's him and Andy Garcia left, that's it. And they need to intercept the book, the uh, bookkeeper mm. before he gets on that train. So you've got this sort of Connery at the top, uh, um, Kevin Costner at the top of the stairs, Andy Garcia hanging around at the bottom. He looks at people. Um, it's a bit like it reminded me of the scene in Jaws with Roy Scheider. That's looking, thinks there's a shark out there. Um, he's looking at the scene just before Alex Kintner gets eaten on the raft. The boy gets eaten on the raft, 
and he's looking out and things are happening and you think oh there's a shark so a woman starts screaming do you realize that a boyfriend's putting her on a on the shoulders and stuff so there's all these things happening in the train station they turn out to be nothing but you get the most iconic scene because what happens is you've got a, a lady who's trying to juggle her luggage and pull a baby up in the in the in the pram mm. so she's trying to pull it up and he's going oh i need to go and help her but I can't go and help her because I'm supposed to be waiting here for somebody to come in. Anyway, he goes and helps her and lifts those things up and he's lifting the baby carriage up until he gets to the top. And as he puts it to the top, he turns around, two of Capone's goons walk through the door. It's quite clear they are they, they are with the bookkeeper. And then suddenly you're in the you're in the position of Well, it's just a great scene. I don't know where to I don't think we could even describe it. You've got a direction of cost. Suddenly, Costner pulls the gun. The goons pull the gun. The shots ringing out. There's a baby in the there's way. There's a baby. There's a baby going down the stairs in the pram. The woman screaming out, "My baby, my baby!" And it's all done in slow mo, and it's just wonderful. I think. It, I think I said to you when the scene had finished. I was like. I, and I can breathe, you know, because it is it literally Andy Garcia's doing his bit right at the end. Costa runs out of bullets. He gets thrown the gun by Andy Garcia and finishes oh, it off. Anyway, they grab the bookkeeper. Um, it's just a wonderful scene. Mm. Now, did you think, what did you think of it? Do you, did you think it was tense? Oh, it was definitely tense. Yeah. I did feel it got dragged out a little bit <sighs> with, with the pram. Yeah, but that's down the, the that's, stairs. Oh, it's like I don't know you sometimes. It fell, it, it fell down like to a certain point, and then it was like. Well, it's all in slow mo. Yeah, but then it was like three steps back again, and it was like, uh, no, you just. You oh, just that's gone not down true. That set of steps. Well, that's not true. Mm-mm. Anyway, the bookkeeper says, "I'm going to talk," and they get to court. Um, the hitman is uh, that uh, killed Sean Connery and oh, killed the accountant is in the courtroom. Um, De Niro doesn't seem too um, fussed about this, basically. Um, so you, Al Capone's sitting there in court. Um, he thinks he's going to get off, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he thinks he's going to get off. And the the, the, def- the the prosecutors are like, how's he going to get off? I don't understand this. Because, you know, we've got him bound to rights. You know, we've got the, the, you know, the bookkeeper. Um Costner sort of identifies the guy and says to the bailiff, can you take the, the guy out? He sees he's got a gun. Yeah, he sees he's got a gun, takes him outside. And as he takes him outside, he says to the, 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 the hitman produces a card which basically says, please afford all courtesy as you would from the mayor. Mm. And he has this card. So Costner goes, oh, well, I guess there's nothing we can do. Have you got? He puts a cigarette in his mouth, gets a, gets a light, he opens up the book of matches and in there is Sean Connery's address there's a chase the hitman gets off kills a few people in the courtroom chases them to the roof um, and basically you know the hitman runs out of bullets there's nothing left um, and he goes right I'm taking you in and this is where you see probably the pinnacle of where Costner gets to with his moral compass because the guy turns out and goes oh you know your friend Jimmy, he, just, he squealed like a stuck pig when I uh, when I killed him and stuff like this. And Costner's like, "What did you say?" And you know, he's like, starts bad mouthing him. Anyway, he grabs him by the, the scruff of the neck. 
walks towards what you think is going to be the door, the roof, the rooftop door, the stairs down, bypasses that, just chucks him straight off the roof. Yeah, it goes, goes for a little lower. It goes for a, he hits that car down below yeah. very hard indeed. Um, so yeah, um, so out of that, there's a list in the, the pocket of the, if they go down actually to the, to the, to the body and produce out of his pocket a list of all the jurors and how much they've been paid. Yeah. So he then gives that to the prosecutor and he goes there, the judge, um, he says, "What you need to admit this into evidence. And the judge goes, oh no, um, I'm not going to do that. There's no evidence. This is just hearsay. Costner asks everyone out the room and said, can I talk to the judge on his own? <laughs> Cuts back to the courtroom and the judge goes, yeah, can you ask the jury next door to swap juries, please? And bring them in. And Capone's like, hey, hey, what's going on? And the prosecutor goes, what did you say to him? He goes, I just said his name was on that list. <laughs> Simples. So it was yeah, it's a great moment. So anyway, the judge what the juries. Capone goes mad, absolutely mad. Um, and Costner comes out with his, you know, he, he starts talking to him. Capone's going, hey, what did you say? What did you say? And he's like being held back. And Costner's like, never stop fighting till the fight is done. And then you get the headline, Capone gets 11 years for tax evasion. It's and then, not much, is it? It's not much, but but anyway, so yes, that's the Untouchables. Eight. Eight out of, we both agree on eight yeah. out of ten, which is great. Yeah. Now it's time for the last bit of our podcast. Um, we'd love to know what you think of the Untouchables, um, if you remember it, if you remember it as much as we do. Um we, we only just watched it so of course we remember it probably but if you have a real fond recollection of the untouchables and maybe you're just listening to this for the first time and gone do you know what i've just searched for the untouchables i can't be bothered please listen to the other ones apart from viathan give that a miss I mean, <laughs> well listen to it if you want to complete the set then listen to leviathan last but yeah go for things like chances are i mean we we've evolved our podcast over the over the time haven't we what do you mean? Well, I did we're more slicker and more professional. No, we're not. All right, okay. Never mind. He just likes to think we are. Right, we've got a jingle for this. You ready? Trivia time. Trivia time. That's a great jingle. <laughs> I do. I love that. I love that. Right, I blow it low, so I'm going to go. I'm oh going to go God. very quickly, but okay. this is good. Uh, this, th- I had to cut this down from like six pages. Okay. Right, so we'll go very quick. Um, Robert De Niro, method actor. He tracked down Al Capone's original tailors and had them make some identical clothing for his movie. No, what? no. Yep. No. That's exactly it. No, because Giorgio Armani actually did the costumes. Yes, did the other costumes. Didn't do Capone's costumes. Mm. So tracked him down. He even insisted on wearing the same silk underwear that Al Capone wore, even though it'd be never seen on camera. And the producers went, look, you're a method actor. We understand that. And they gave in and said, fine. Um, He didn't have much time to gain the extra weight needed. He's obviously, everyone that knows about De Niro knows he yo-yos. And if the film decides somebody needs to be hugely fat, like, you know, the later Jake LaMotta in A Raging Bull and gain the weight, then he'll gain the weight. And then he'll go and lose the weight. Um, so he had to wear pads and pillows because he couldn't he couldn't do it in time. I've been able to. Mm. I've been offered the role. And the set in the barber shop when he's been interviewed at Lexington Hotel, right the very first shot of the film, 
includes several items like cologne bottles and stuff which belong to Al, Al Capone oh. which is I thought was good um, with the bribery scene which is good where the envelope's dropped on the desk mm-hmm. um, it's assumed to be a bribe but the amount inside is never revealed in real life Al Capone promised Elliot Ness that two $1,000 bills would be on his desk every Monday morning if he turned a blind eye to everything so that's an enormous amount of money. It's equivalent to $30,000 every day, every every week. That's the equivalent then. Um, Elliot Ness refused the bribe in real life and obviously in the film and in later years struggled with money. He died almost broke at the age of 54. Oh dear. Hmm. So integrity over personal fortune. So Elliot Ness had a lot more integrity than even the film let on. Mm. Um, because you know refuse that sort of money which would be life cha- you know, I'm not saying th- $30,000 a month isn't, wouldn't be life changing now but I imagine then would be considerably well yeah but it would certainly monthly yes yeah yeah absolutely um, in real life um, Al Capone knowing that killing one of the untouchables would only lead to more trouble than him or his outfit could handle it says actually had a non-violence order to his men about the untouchables Um so he said, don't kill them. Uh, he did re- repeatedly attempt to buy them off. He never once attempted to kill Elliot Ness or any of his men in real life. That never happened. Oh, so the thing in the lift never happened? No, and Sean Curry never happened. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, Elliot Ness and his role in bringing down Capone has been completely forgotten about at the time of his death in 1957. No Chicago newspaper carried news of his passing. His heroic reputation only began with the publication of the Untouchables book that he'd written, he'd co-written, um, and a television series that uh, that was in the sort of 60s, I believe, The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. So then when he died in 1957, it w- wasn't even mentioned. This oh, was the guy that nice. took down Al Capone. I know. Um, it was original, different ending for the movie. I love this one. It would have had to be a scene with the sh- camera showing the close-up of Robert Deere's face been warmed up for a shave because that's how we you're introduced to him mm. at the start of the film but instead the camera would have pulled up he still has reporters around him but this time he's in a jail cell yeah and it would have finished like that uh, do you think do you think that would I have worked that would have been good. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah i kind of like that, that then? uh well it's just because you know things things got dropped and you mm. know um, one point about the trial that never showed up in the movie capone tried to attempted to plea bargain before the trial but the judge wouldn't hear of it. He did attempt to bribe the jury, and when the judge found out, he promptly switched to juries. So that is that true. That's true. Um, Sean Connery, this is slightly about filming now. Turned up, turned up to the shoot in his golf clothes. That doesn't surprise me. He, they did a close open, which I think is just a like a shot of the face. Mm. Um, and Sean was dismissed for the day. He came back after a full day of golf, acted for five minutes, and then went to go home. And Andy Garcia and the accountant grabbed him after the scene and said, that's very clever of you. He says, you've just got back from golf, turn up for five minutes, do your scene, and then that's it. Connery turns to them and said, this is not my first barbecue. (laughs) I I think it's a great line. I'm James Bond. Hey, mofos. I'm James Bond. I can do this sort of stuff. I don't need this. I'm going back to play golf. (laughs) It's like... So I kind of like that. This is the bit that you talked about. So Giorgio Armani provided the clothes for the costume, told Brian De Palma to cast Don Johnson. Oh. 
from from Miami Vice for those who don't know the 80s why are you listening to this but anyway you're more than welcome everyone's welcome um, yes Don Johnson as Elliot Ness Johnson wore Armani on uh, Miami Vice and Armani called Don Johnson his male muse Ooh. well uh, do you go back about iconic clothes Miami Vice yeah that white suit is iconic yeah. people if you say go to an 80s party you go to 80s clothes on Amazon, I bet the white suit is just like theirs. You wear it with a pink t-shirt, no shoes, slip-ons or whatever. Is it slip-ons? Espadrilles. Espadrilles or whatever. Um, Don Johnson was offered the role of Elliot Ness but declined. Kevin Costner, a good friend, good friend of Don Johnson. They were good friends together. Um, so Kevin Costner accepted the part. Johnson said he congratulated Costner on getting the role, never letting on he was offered the part until years later because he didn't want to steal his limelight he didn't want anyone to know so it says not to offend Costner or steal any thunder away so Costner and Don Johnson appear together in Tin Cup so when you see that chemistry together with them they're friends they've been friends for years by the time they do that Um, when Ness Elliot Ness and the bailiff removed the hitman from the courtroom on account of him wearing a concealed firearm he produces this permit in the form of a carte blanche please extend to the holder of the card Frank uh, Nitti all courtesies etc signed by the Chicago mayor this is a reference to the real relationship described by Wikipedia as a mutually profitable one that amongst all things Capone supported the the mayor's election campaign that existed between the Capone and the mayor mayor. that was a thing So it's basically, do not touch this guy, do let him go about his business, yeah. which is, that's quite chilling. Mm. So it's all endorsed, but for right from the top. Um, at the end of the film, the reporter asks Elliot Ness um, what they'll do if, if they repeal Prohibition, what, what he'll do, and he goes, well, I think I'll have a drink. Um, Elliot Ness did become a heavy drinker oh, in real life and got involved in a alcohol-related traffic accident. I know it's quite sad when you read stuff like this. You're kind of yeah. like, yeah, but you know, he spe- he his his achievement lives on in this film. Anyway, from a casting point of view, I thought this is we're nearly at the end. Trust me, I know this might be the longest podcast, but we're nearly at the end. But I just think these are great. Uh, Marlon Brando mm-hmm. refused five million dollars for two weeks' work as Al Capone. Five million dollars. Ridiculous. I wonder what De Niro got. Five million dollars. <laughs> well, he's been he was taxi driving the Godfather. Of course he would. Five million. Well, that'd be interesting one to know. We'll tell you in the next podcast. Oh, oh, here comes the phone. Oh, now I thought you were going to get reaching reach for your phone to find it out. <laughs> Brian Depart, uh, the director, also talked to Jeff Bridges and Gene Hackman. Jeff Bridges to play Elliot Ness and Gene Hackman to play um, uh, the Sean Connery part. So yeah. Um, according to Blind Palmer in the making of documentary, Mel Gibson was interested in playing Elliot Ness but couldn't commit to it because he was on a project that was going on at the same time and that project was... What film was he making at the time? 1987. Uh, it's the one with Danny Glover. Yes. Um, what oh, becomes a lethal weapon. Lethal weapon, that's yeah. it. Oh, they're classic movies. Well, exactly. And, it, you know, the, Mel, you made the right choice. Yeah. I'm sure you would have catapulted to fame. There, I don't think the weird. You couldn't have Mel Gibson of Mad Max fame suddenly playing that. You know, Mel Gibson playing Martin Riggs in, in Lethal Weapon mm. is entirely in keeping with what Mel Gibson had been yeah. doing, you know, Gallipoli and things like that. Um, 
Jack Nicholson was offered the role of Elliot Ness, but he said no. No, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> and because he had su- success with Witness, they wanted the, the actual film company wanted Harrison Ford to play Elliot Ness. Mm, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. What Han Solo? Han Solo, Indiana Jones, well, and did he bring his lightsaber. Deckard from uh, Blade Runner. Oh yeah, suddenly playing Elliot Ness. Well. Um, so from the steps, the steps scene. He just got Patriot going later. <laughs> yeah, boo! That's the worst of the Jack Ryan films. And it, you like it? Sorry, yeah, I forgot to tell you the the other the one of many loves that Amanda has from Robert Downey Jr. and De Niro is. Um, oh, who's the other one? I was just going to say Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Up and atom. Oh, simplicity from O2. <laughs> anyway, Sean Bean plays Sean Bean. Like Hugh Grant plays Hugh Grant. It's it's exactly the same. Um, so, the step scene. So, obviously, with the baby carriage, when Capone's men are trying to smuggle the bookkeeper out of town, they're going to put him on board a train to Miami. In real life, Al Capone owned a luxurious mansion in Miami. And in the movie, the mob was just going to have him hide in the mansion under protection. It wasn't just a case of, well, go to Miami and look after yourself. Hide behind the bookcase. Or something like that. Um, in the original script, the gunfight had Elliot Ness and George battling Capone gunmen on a stop train, actually on the train that was that was going to be heading off. Um, but they couldn't afford it, so they said, "Well, let's just do it on the steps instead." So the idea was to have the shootout on the train. The, book, uh, the bookkeeper right, okay. makes the train. They're trying to search him on the right, train. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom! Yeah. Shoot out the train. Mm. Um, the baby, the baby in the carriage at the train station was the stunt coordinator's son. So the guy that did the whole stunt with it, that was his son in the baby carriage. They actually put baby in there? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. No, no. You see the baby in the carriage. You don't see it in... (laughs) It wasn't like the the takeoff in Naked Gun 33 and a half where they skipped the whole scene on that. I know you don't like Naked Gun. I don't like it. All right. Um, He then modified um, his battle on the train sequence that he had planned for the movie and used it in the 1993 film Carlito's Way with Al Pacino. Um, and so he actually ended up using it when he had a bigger budget. Right. So obviously he wins, you know, he gets all the accolades for the Oscars. Brian De Palma didn't yeah. need any introduction. Um, so, yeah. So the, the last bit on that was the, the story. This is going to be a little quiz for you. You ready? So. Sean Connery won the... His only Academy Award win was for The Untouchables. The only time he won an Academy Award for anything. Best actor. Is that an Oscar? Yeah, Oscar. The oh. Academy Award, yeah. Okay, the Oscar there, I'll just call it. So, who did he beat in 1988? Um, if, uh, in fact, I don't know why I'm doing this quiz, because I suddenly realised I'd have trouble answering these. But he did beat Denzel Washington in Cry Freedom. Do you remember that film? Nope. You don't? Okay. He built Vincent Gardinia, who was in Moonstruck. Morgan Freeman, who was in Street Smart, so just at the start of his career. Um, and Albert Brooks in Broadcast News, which is a great film. I haven't seen any of them. Best actor, Michael Douglas. What did he get his best actor for? Fatal Attraction. No. Oh. You would think that, because Fatal Attraction was up uh, in, in, in that, but he got that for Wall Street. Ah, oh, good Gordon movie. Gecko. Good movie. Good movie. He built, Greed is good. He beat William Hurt in Broadcast News, uh, Marcelo Mastrioni in Dark Eyes, Jack Nicholson in Ironweed, 
and Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam. Oh. Yeah. I still have to go with Michael Douglas because Wall Street's just, well, Wall Street's just... It's great. incredible. It's movie. incredible. Uh, best film was Out Of, and it beats Moonstruck, Hope and Glory, Fatal Attraction, and Broadcast News. It was the terminally boring and incredibly oh, not dull. Out of Africa or something. Nope, worse than that. The Last Emperor. Oh, well. Dreadful. Well, dreadful. I've not actually watched. Dreadful. Watched well, it from start to finish, but there are. Some is that because you fell asleep, sweetheart? Is that because when you started watching it, you went, "This film's not doing anything," and it appears it's three and a half hours long, and I'm in the cinema. Did you didn't go to the cinema to see it? No. So you weren't going. Oh, that's best picture. I've got to go see it. No, I kind of dipped in and out of it. I think it was on at Christmas one time. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there were some really nice movie scenes in it, like you know landscape scenes and there's some great scenes in out of africa do you want to watch that no because no. my sister went to watch that with her f- boyfriend it was their first date and <laughs> right. hadn't really realized what kind of film it was and they were really 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 bored and walked out of it so uh, just from that okay i've never watched it all right and never will okay well so in a bid that when they say the oscars isn't reflective of popular films so for example um, Marvel films don't get a look in apart unless it's Black Panther which was nominated for Best Picture um, why? I don't know I'm not a fan of Black Panther no, I couldn't I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Black Panther the superhero as part of the Avengers but I just I just didn't get a lot out of the film no um, and it's a shame because I was really looking forward to it um, are you ready the best song okay in contention was Storybook Love from The Princess Bride, Shakedown by Bob Seger from Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yes, this was the 80s. Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship from Mannequin. I watched that at the movies. And Mannequin's... Oh, oh Mannequin. We, mannequin we could do. Could we do Mannequin? Yeah, I'll do One Mannequin. One day? Yeah, okay. Cro- yes. And Andrew McCarthy yeah. from Pretty in Pink. Everything goes back to Pretty in Pink somewhere, <laughs> doesn't it? Really. All roads lead it's to. It's all a bit weird, though. All roads lead to John falls Hughes. In love with a mannequin, and it's like. Well, oh, I thought you were talking about Pretty in Pink. It's <laughs> grim, isn't it? You've got no mates. A little bit. So, Cry Freedom from Cry Freedom uh, was one of them, but the winner from one of your all-time favourite films. The Muppets. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Oh, dirty dancing. I've had the time of my life. Oh, that's great, though. One best song at the yeah, Oscars. I can imagine that. So, who won best actress? Beating Holly Hunter in Broadcast News. That is a strong, strong, strong performance. Sally Kirkland in Anna. I don't remember that, but I do remember Sally Kirkland. Meryl Streep was in, who was in Ironweed, so obviously Jack Nicholson missed out on best actor. Um, Meryl Streep missed out on best actress. Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Mm. That's a great, that is a fantastic performance. She's just one crazy lady. So who won? Out of all them? No. Oh. So who won for her, she's a singer? Whitney Houston. No. Oh. We, me and Bean went to see her. Cher? Yep. Moonstruck? Yeah. Oh. That was the, that was the, Cher. Yeah, Absolutely, and Olympia Dukakis won for 
Best um, Supporting uh, Actress for Moonstruck. So Moonstruck was pretty good. Oh, there. Is that with Bob Hoskins? Moonstruck, Nicolas Cage. Which one am I thinking of? Uh, oh, I'm thinking of the shoot, shoot thing. That's oh, Moonstruck. Mermaids. Mermaids, no. Mermaid. 91. Yeah, completely wrong film. Yeah. Um, beating Anne Southern in The Wells of August, Anne Ramsey from Throw Mama from the Train, Anne Archer in Fatal Attraction, she was best supporting, and uh, Norma Alandro in Gabby, A True Story. Don't remember that one. No. Um, anyway, so yes, a little bit over time, but we got to the end. There was trivia mm. time. So, hope you like the new jingles. Hope you like the new sort of approach. Uh, and I hope you like the Untouchables. And if you're listening to this before you go and see it, then... I don't say we've spoiled the film in a way. I think you probably you might get away with this one because it's actually based in some historical fact. It is, but it's not that long. I mean, it's not. You know, it's just two two hours, just over two hours. So it's kind of worth it. Um, we've not actually done what we normally do, which is have a discussion about what the next film is. So do you think we should have? I don't know. Do you think we should run a poll or something? Nobody really reacts to polls, so. No, we'll just choose one. We'll just choose one. Yeah, we'll leave it as a surprise. <laughs> Do we need another jingle for surprise time? Surprise! No, you're all right. I think we'll be fine. Surprise time! No, don't even go there. <laughs> Come on. Let's just call it a day. Anyway, you can contact us at uh, Rusted Junk. Just type that in the Forgotten 80s movies into Facebook. We would love you to chat to us there. Uh, at Rusted J Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. We haven't done a lot with Instagram. We no. should have done. And we I will do. I've got up to Broadcast number five, episode five. Okay. I, 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 I don't... No, no one's following us. And, and if anyone's got really ideas about like podcast promotion, I, may, I might have to go back to... So if you listen to the one about this where we chose the jingles, we went to a service called Five Squid. And Five Squid have, as they say, they'll do anything for Fiverr. I know it sounds bad. It sounded bad on the last podcast. It sounds bad there and say it now. But one of them is I will promote your podcast for you. So maybe we need to try that. Hmm. I know our lo- loyal, lovely listeners. I don't want to end up like with empty likes. Do you know what I mean? Like paid for. I don't want it. To, I don't want empty likes. likes. I want people to interact with us. Just bumped your your likes numbers. If anyone, it's actually like almost like ghosts because they don't interact. They don't know who they are. Hmm. Are they just paid to? to like your page don't know just there yeah. is, there I'd is, rather we have genuine followers than, than well just, do you know what we do have some genuine followers we now. do have genuine followers and we've actually had contact with some of our genuine followers yes we have we had contact we went to see the uh, two gig two gigs last, last week we went to see the 1975 uh, which I didn't want to see but I came out of that going my goodness where have this band been all my life been right there right there and we went to see the editors and walked out halfway through but that's for another that's for if you want to know the story of that contact us and we will, <laughs> we will, we will happily tell you what, what the uh, what that was um, we also have listeners uh, out in the states we don't know who they are but we do know who some of them are and that would be uh, Jack McCarthy Taylor Catcher and Joe Hogarty star of howdy. the howdy howdy folks <laughs> I wish I could do his, his voice is just incredible in fact they all are um, but anyway uh, we have been invited onto their podcast we have uh, we've got to arrange it at some point so you know what I think we're doing some good because that is a podcast that I've followed for years um, and I love it I just love it 
and just thought, you know, those guys have a great rapport. They say we've got a great rapport, so let's let's share the love over the Atlantic <laughs> and let's let's have it back. That's that's uh, sending out some love. Anyway, um, Taylor, you're right about the Last Jedi. If you're listening, if you are listening at all. Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Right. So, and my, and my character would have been R two D two. Oh, for you, yeah, your favourite character in Star Wars. Yes. Yeah, was R two D two. Yes. I don't think I. I don't think I. I chose one, did I? I don't think I could in time. I. I no. I, 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 it's tough because the ones I pick are not necessarily going to be the ones that. You, I don't know why. Why did you pick R two D two? I know uh, we're going. Off, we are going to finish in a minute. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I picked R two D two because um, he's funny, and he's a droid, and he's consistent. Um, and I felt that there was creativity in you. You, you recognise the character R two D two. You realise he's like you know a, a good droid. He's not bad. He's funny. He's got a sense of humour. Mm. Um, yet, you can tell all that. He hasn't got a face. He hasn't got facial expressions. He doesn't talk in a language like you or I that's understandable. He's just beeping and making noises. And but somehow you understand him. But you completely understand him. You completely get him. Mm. And he's consistent throughout all the Star Wars movies. And I just think he's absolutely amazing. And And just at key moments he's there and he's he's like sorting things out or fixing something that's like been shot or gone up in smoke or you know he's like basically the the ying to C3PO's yang isn't he and the compliment to BB-8 I suppose in the later film oh yeah I'm not that fussed about BB-8 personally but R2-D2 is the man okay you don't think BB-8's expression? Yeah, yeah, he's all right. He express himself. But, you know, he's, he's a jamming ball. his head into the uh, he's a ball. He into Poe Dameron's. And, you know, he just looks cheeky. But R two D two, right? Created like obviously for the film yeah, in yeah, the seventies. Yeah. How do you get a droid to have such a personality? And they did it, and I just love him. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. Okay, well, um, I can't, I can't say mine. Um, I, I have to think about it a lot more. Um, but anyway. So we're saying goodbye. Uh, and so we'll see you on the next podcast. Please contact us and we'd love to hear from you. Whatever suggestion, suggestions, comments, observations. Uh, we did a poll who was best out of me and Amanda. She won by one. I think it's about myself. <laughs> anyway, yes. <laughs> Less said about the better. Right, we are, we're off. Yeah. And we'll see you later. Okay, toodle pip. Cheers. Bye. Rusted Junk. Rusted Junk. Rusted Junk. The Forgotten 80s Movies. The Forgotten 80s Movies.